Welcome to the Patient Flow Podcast, powered by Teletracking. On today's episode of the Patient Flow Podcast, we meet Tom Perry, Product Manager for Teletracking. Tom and Dr. Scott Newton were recently published in the National Association of Healthcare Transport Management's journal. The topic, Patient Transport and the Role of Value-Based Care. Today, Tom delves into the article to discuss the positive outcomes of value-based care that teletracking brings to the table. Let's listen in. Value-based care is really looking at the entirety of the continuum of care. So it is not only everything that happens between admission and discharge, but also looking after the discharge as well. So if the patient is going to go home, if the patient is going to be going to a post-acute facility. So really looking at that entire continuum of care and understanding what all of the communication points are, what all of the the, uh, potentials for breakdown in communication and process where all of those exist, and then working to improve those processes to uh, continue to drive value to patients. Many folks look at uh, business problems as communication problems, and many of them are. So making sure that people have the right information at the right time is critical, but also being able to forecast and look ahead to understand what could be uh, impending workflow or or workload, um, how much work there is to complete, and the ability to complete that work. So some of this actually comes from uh, manufacturing, looking at lean processes and uh, being able to keep things according to schedule. But one of the things in healthcare that is, is a big variable is the volume of work. So things can occur that are unforeseen. That also ties into looking backwards and understanding performance, how well or how not so well folks had, had performed in doing some of those duties to be able to come up with a reasonable projection. Hospitals certainly vary in size from small rural facilities to large urban academic institutions, and their operational models are, can also be very different. Tom, based on the theory of value-based care. Can you talk about how standard performance goals can be established and benchmarked for patient transport teams across the board? How do you take those other factors out and get clear benchmarks? Well, those factors do play an important role. And it's important to kind of start with putting everybody in the same bucket, so to speak. So looking at all performance metrics, but then also looking at some of those variables that you had discussed and and mentioned in your question that do impact um, patient transport performance. So a a very simple one could be facility size or how how large the facility is. And uh, in in very large facilities that, that cover quite a bit of surface area, it does take time for to move, to walk uh, from point A to point B, especially if some of those places are far away, they require going outside or taking escalators and elevators. So those factors can come into importance, but you do get to what I'd like to call a zone of performance. So it's not saying that a number or a measure like average response time will always be 15 minutes. 
what you find is there is a range and and that range is on a low level or on a higher level and when doing comparisons and when looking at benchmarking statistics from a variety of different sizes of hospitals and flavors and shapes, what you want to do is, is establish that range. And also understand if you are the person doing the comparison, if you are the hospital, knowing what your performance metrics are as well, and then setting goals to meet the lower end of that range. In some cases, that might mean bringing on additional staff, or in other cases, it might mean shifting staff and understanding the volumes. So in other words, making sure you have the right amount of people to meet your performance metrics. There's also consideration for what I'd call process anomalies. And there are there's a range of things. We always look at best case scenarios, but the real world doesn't work that way. Whenever patients are transported, staff will encounter delays. Staff may encounter rescheduling activities because, again, we're dealing with we're dealing with people and uh, unpredictability of care. So, very much unlike the manufacturing sector, you've got to roll some of that plus or minus to account for those kinds of anomalies. Tom, I I know the article that you had published was based on a a study that you collaborated with the National Association of Healthcare Transport Management on, and there were 20 different hospitals that were contributing data to this. Can you share some of the specific trends that emerged out of that study? And I understand those hospitals were different sizes, different locations. Mm -hmm. What were some of the commonalities? Well, some of the commonalities were we saw a large amount of variety or variability in the early stages of a transport job. So if you slow things down and think through some of the mechanics of moving a patient, the first part is someone makes a request to the transport staff. That request then needs to be relayed to the transport staff who then proceed to where the patient is. Then the transport staff begins to move the patient to their destination. What we noticed was there was a high degree of variability early in that process, which meant that that is the the key time where communication bottlenecks can occur or miscommunications can occur. That's also when delays can occur. For example, a patient transporter might make it to the patient's bedside in record time, but because that patient is receiving some sort of treatment or some paperwork hasn't been established, they may have to wait five or 10 minutes before they're able to move the patient. Now, on the flip side, once the patient is in hand, so to speak, and the transportation begins, there's very little variability in that. Fewer instances of delays and actually a fairly short period of time. That time on average measured between seven to 10 minutes uh, based on our benchmark participants. Whereas the time in front of that could be as much as 25 minutes. What this tells us is if you focus on some of the communication and some of your labor efficiencies on the early part of that process, then once you have the patient in hand, everything follows a fairly routine pace. The opportunities are early in the process making that request a little more efficiently, making sure that it gets to the employee in a more timely fashion, and making sure that small things, but they do add up, 
making sure that there is enough equipment for transporters to have access to. We saw a lot of time, what I'd call non-value added time, but still adds to the overall patient transport continuum where employees were simply looking for equipment. And these are patient transport equipment pieces, trying to find a wheelchair, trying to find a stretcher. In some cases, the information that was relayed to the employee doing the transportation was incorrect, meaning that employee showed up with a stretcher and they really should have shown up with a wheelchair. So that early part of the process, continuing to focus on making sure that that is efficient and accurate, really helps in the overall patient transport experience. What's interesting is while some of those negative things have a tendency to spiral and snowball in effect and compound each other, the reverse is also true. If you are able to build some efficiencies throughout that process where it's more on the positive side, where instead of spending two minutes looking for equipment, now you have the proper equipment in hand and can complete that transport, saving two minutes from that job. That begins to add up in a positive way, very much like compound interest does in the world of finance. It works in both directions. Tom, we know that Teletracking's transport tracking product automates the discharge process. That's just one piece of the puzzle, though. Can you talk a little bit more about what other steps health systems should be doing to foster a culture of continuous improvement? Well, the discharge process really should begin right when the patient is admitted in many cases. So yes, we're trying to deliver care as, as, as best we can and as efficiently as we can and with the highest amount of quality. But part of that patient stay is going to be exams, so visiting uh, diagnostic and testing areas. Here is where patient transport plays a very, very big role. And in many facilities, the patient transportation team is an outgrowth of high volume departments like radiology. So making sure that you are serving that need in addition to the discharge need is very important for overall patient flow. Same thing can be said for some of the surgery areas as well. As we try to decompress the emergency department by having patient transportation work there, getting patients to their rooms, we also should focus on having patient transporters work in PACUs and in the recovery areas so that patients can get back to their rooms. And focusing on all of those with, with an equal eye helps to keep the flow going. And I imagine has tremendous impact on patient satisfaction scores. Yes, it does. Patient transporters are folks that uh, interact with patients. I know that sounds kind of obvious, but they are in many cases part of the face of the hospital. So making sure that those patients aren't waiting very long, whether they're waiting to get to their room, waiting to get to an exam, waiting to get to the discharge area so that they can go home is a very, very important part of their experience in the hospital. Thank you for listening to the Patient Flow Podcast powered by Teletracking. We take pride in bringing you insightful conversations with the leading experts in patient flow, as well as tips on industry best practices to help ensure patients get the right care in the right place at the right time.